Hey guys, Leah Pika here. Today's guest's first name is synonymous with equipping analysts with Google Analytics firepower, and his last name rhymes with macaroni. Stay tuned to find out who's dropping it like it's hot on episode 24. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hey, hey guys, welcome to the 24th episode of the Present Beyond Measure show. There are now as many episodes of the show as there are hours in the day, which in my opinion would make an awesome binge fest option for you (laughs) after you're done with Black Mirror and Master of None, of course. So I just got back from fabulous London, England, where I spoke at the wonderful Search Love Conference by Distilled. What a beautifully designed and value-packed event. There were some amazing presentations on what's going on on the bleeding edge of search marketing. But I have to give a particular shout out to my new friend, Will Reynolds of Sierra Interactive, who laid down the law during his awe-inspiring session on humanizing the search experience. So engaging, entertaining, and packed with value. It was the ideal conference presentation. So big props, new friend. For now, let's kick this off with today's groovy guest. Hey, everybody. I am so, so, so excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, He is the analytics evangelist at Google. He's helping hundreds of thousands of analytics practitioners get the most out of their Google Analytics investment. He has an incredibly comprehensive blog that I've followed for years, and I'll let you know what that is in a second. And he's written not one, but three books on Google Analytics. Not bad. And most importantly for you, he has presented across the globe to great acclaim at events like eMetrics, Marketing Profs, AdTech, Loves Data, Super Week, and countless more. And in what can be a very dry and technical space, his presentation style is authoritative, approachable, and totally easy to understand, which is right up my alley. So with that, please help me welcome one of the greatest analytics heroes, Justin Cutroni. Wow, that was an amazing introduction. Very humbling. Thank you so much. (laughs) I try. That's how I roll. (laughs) So I was so thrilled to meet you a few weeks ago at eMetrics San Francisco um, at the DAA Gala. And, you know, I've been such a huge fan for a long time. You've been on my bucket list for guests for so long. So I feel blessed that we finally made it happen. Um, But first, I love to hear a good origin story. So tell us a little bit about how you fell into this whole analytics gig. Yeah, um, I can totally do that. And (laughs) like a lot of people, I I did fall into it. You you have a really great way of introducing that. So, So I started in digital analytics, I would say it was about 12 years ago, in around 2002, um, I was an independent contractor and I was building web apps on the LAMP stack. And a client asked me if there was a way to track how many people clicked on all of the Yahoo banner ads that they were selling or they were buying, right? So um, they were very skeptical uh, that these ads actually worked. So using Perl and PHP, 
me and uh, another contractor manually built uh, a system to to track, you know, uh, clicks on these display ads and then actually post-click behavior, like what was happening on the website after that. Mm -hmm. And it was in that time that I actually realized that there was software that existed and you could use to do that and um, learned about Urchin software back then. And then a couple years later, I started working for this company called Epic One, mostly doing like internet strategy and development work. And they were actually reselling Urchin software. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was a log analysis tool and what was interesting was that Google had just purchased Urchin. And what Google was thinking about doing was actually creating a partner program around Urchin software because Urchin had a lot of global partners that resold the software and provided services for them. And so when Google relaunched Urchin software as Google Analytics, they chose eight companies globally to participate and become analytics partners. And the company I was working for, the small company called Epic One, uh, was one of those original eight. So that was pretty awesome. We kind of all pinched ourselves. There were four of us (laughs) in a warehouse and we're just like, yep, we're a partner with Google. So, And then we did that for a while and I kind of ran like the analytics services part of that company as we grew. So we delivered services obviously around like you know, getting the most out of the software, but also like analyzing the data and 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 optimizing marketing around it. Uh, one of the things that we also did was we launched the first training program around Google Analytics. They had this program called Seminars for Success for AdWords, mm-hmm. and we basically partnered with Google and we delivered a similar type of training for analytics. It was a three-day event that we would hold in different global locations. So then after that, I left that company. They got um, absorbed and acquired by another company. I started working for this other company called WebShare, which was another analytics partner. A lot of people probably don't remember them, but they were the predecessor to Cardinal Pass, uh-huh. um, which I think a lot of people have heard of them. Um, so we actually did a triple merger between Cardinal, uh, between WebShare and a couple other companies and created this company called Cardinal Pass. So I worked with those guys for about three years. And then uh, in late 2011, I guess, Paul Murray, who was one of the founders of Urchin and runs the team over at Google for analytics, he approached me and asked if, if I would be interested in, in joining Google. And that was a pretty easy question to answer. Um, I think I got <laughs> that one right. And so for the last four years, I've been working at Google as the analytics evangelist. But what, what I actually do is I actually run the analytics education team. And so our job is to make everybody smarter and to help everyone use analytics more effectively in order to improve their business. And so I have a a wonderful team that helps me do that. And they run a lot of awesome programs to get that done. And we're all very grateful for your team because they do amazingly valuable work. And, you know, uh, I believe Krista Seiden is yep. on your team and she's a very great friend of mine and she's just brought so much to this community just herself. So, so grateful for that. So in your early career as an analyst, did you find that you had to present your findings a lot? And if you did, you know, what was challenging about that? Yeah, it's, it. I've been in front of people for a long time. <laughs> and it's interesting because you know, I was, I was thinking about this podcast, there's so many different types of presentations, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many different 
um, you, you present in front of so many different audiences and, and probably the most important thing is like, in, is the audience and, and, and understanding them. And, um, but to answer your question, absolutely. You know, I think back, you know, thinking back, uh, you know, 10 years, a lot of the presentations were in front of very skeptical audiences, right? A lot of people questioning the data, mm-hmm. wondering where did the data come from? Can I trust this data? You know, why are you telling me these things about my business when I already know these things about my business? <laughs> or, you know, like, how do you know more about it? So, so yeah, so it, it's been, there, there's been a lot of presentations over a lot of years and, and the results I think are what people want, right? They want to understand the results, especially now. I think like the industry is finally getting to a fairly mature place where, mm-hmm. where people understand that these metrics, you know, hopefully can help them to make better decisions and to, to move things forward. Right. Yes. I know better than anyone, all of the different kinds of challenges we face when trying to get exposure and our insights known and acted upon. So, you know, you talked about skepticism actually being a big struggle. I still find that that's the case when I work with clients. I still hear a lot that their clients, um, their clients feel that they don't exactly trust everything they hear. They don't have full confidence in the analysts presenting. So do you have any advice for the analyst to help instill more of that confidence so that that relationship can become stronger? Yeah, so that's that's a great question, and and I think there's two things, and and these are kind of universal in business. Is the first is you have to have a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And you really, you know, especially as a consultant, you need to have a relationship with the stakeholder, right? You need to understand them, you need to understand what drives them, and you know, I don't want it to sound like dirty and slimy, like oh, you need to know like what are their hobbies and send them Christmas presents or Where Hanukkah they live. presents. Yeah, exactly. It's not like that, right? But like you need, you need to have a personal relationship. And, mm-hmm. and I think in one of your previous con- conversations, you talked to Adam Greco, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he talked about like, you need to know the audience and you need to know where they're all lined up, right? You need to know the votes. And, and, and it's the same thing, right? You, you need to understand this person and um, at a deeper level than just, you know, what is driving them at work, right? You really mm-hmm. want to understand who they are. And I think, think that's a very important thing that takes time, right? To build, yes. um, you know, and effort. Right. Yeah. I have this great story. Um, so way back before my digital analytics days, I worked at a company called Accenture. And mm-hmm. I remember I was doing consulting work for a pharmaceutical company. And we were moving them off of AS400 software, which mm-hmm. if anyone remembers, AS400s Sounds are familiar. like these old, yeah, totally old hulking technologies. And <laughs> there was this one guy there, his name was Bill, and he had written the original like building software for this pharmaceutical company on the AS400 back in like the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And he had been there for like 35 years and he was being downsized. And it was my job mm-hmm. to like extract every bit of knowledge from his brain about the system so that we could turn it into like this new fancy client server based application. And needless to say, he was like, not happy. <laughs> he was really grumpy. And um, he was just like, not super excited at all to to participate in this. And so I remember we were going to lunch one day. It was like me and Bill and then two other clients. And we walked out to my car and the license plate on my my car says Red Sox 9. And he's like, huh, you like the Red Sox? And I was like, yeah, love the Red Sox. I grew up in Boston, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, number nine, that's 
Ted Williams, right? He's like, you're way too young to remember anything about Ted Williams. And I was like, Ted Williams is like one of my idols. He's like one of my heroes. Like I love Ted Williams. He's like, well, he's my favorite baseball player. And he like, he started to open up, right? About all of these stories. Uh, about, yeah, exactly. And, you know, from that moment on, you know, it was still kind of tough, but we had a much better understanding of each other. And we had, like you said, common ground, which was really, really important. And so, you know, it's, you got to take that time and invest in the relationships because, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to pay off. The other thing that I think is super, super important is you have to have your own confidence, right? You mm -hmm. really need to double down and do your homework. And if you think you've done enough, then you probably need to do two times as much. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just around every little thing. Like you can't leave anything to chance, right? Like you need to know where did these metrics come from? You need to know, are these the right metrics? You need to know what are the, what's the history behind these metrics? Were there any problems with these metrics? And you, you really need to kind of completely understand the landscape of about what you're going to go into. And all of the times that I've failed, and there are many, many, many stories about how I've failed. No. It's many. It's always because <laughs> I didn't know something, right? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know something in the data. And, you know, so for example, like, you know, whenever you look at um, like a, a campaigns report and any analytics product, right, you need to know what are all those campaigns, right? And who are running all those campaigns? And, you know, that's a complicated thing, you, um, but you need to take the time to go down that path and understand like, all right, this is a email campaign. This is paid search. This is a, a display ad campaign. Like you really need to know the entire landscape that will build your confidence. Right. And, and that will really lead to more success uh, when you're in these meetings, because, you know, if, if the stakeholders know that you've invested the time to really get to know their entire business, their entire organization, what's happening. It gives you a lot more credibility and you'll get a lot more distance out of, out of the meeting. I couldn't agree more. Even though pretty charts and nice slides are sort of the <laughs> bread and butter of what I do, Really, what I'm trying to get to the heart of is where the breakdowns are between the analyst and client relationship. And I feel strongly that as an analyst or marketer, we have to take more responsibility for those two things, like you said, getting to know your audience better and fully understanding the landscape of it. I I've seen a lot of sort of hands off, well, they didn't tell me this was happening. How, how am I supposed to know? And I think the more effective way is to build those relationships. And like you said, I, I try to help people build a little bit more compassion for their clients as people, like you said, to, to humanize them a bit more by thinking of them almost like their therapy patient and in no way degrading the client or boss by saying they're mental. It's more, if you were their therapist, what you would be getting to know their biggest aspirations, their darkest <laughs> uh, nightmares and, and, and dreams and the things that keep them up at night so that when you are approaching to present them, you are already addressing the things that they are most concerned about and most wanting to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, what's a really interesting topic, right? That's kind of a sub layer to all of this, right? Like, Obviously, data is super important and presenting information in the right way is super important, right? Mm -hmm. But this is all part of the decision-making process, 
right? That That's what we're doing, right? Like yeah. these presentations, they're there to facilitate a decision-making process in business, right? And some of those decisions are pretty easy, right? And we don't need a lot like, hey, I want to go spend an extra $1,500 to run a test. No problem. And some of the decisions are really complicated. It's yeah. like, I need five more heads and $10 million to <laughs> fully fund this effort that you want me to do. And, you know, like, when the decisions get bigger, I think the relationship's more important, but also kind of having a common language of how are we going to make this decision? How are we going to approach this decision? And I, I know this is actually something that we do a lot at Google, but understanding that, and, and that all goes into the presentation, right? Because if you think about a presentation where you're in front of stakeholders and you have data, you don't just dump the data out there, right? You start with a frame of reference, right? Like, what is our perspective on this? What are the metrics that we all agree on? Where did all this data come from? What is the goal of this decision, right? Are we are we here to make the decision uh, or here we learn more about the decision? Should be a goal, yes. Right, exactly, <laughs> totally, right? And then alternatives. You know, I think sometimes we unilaterally, you know, go into business meetings with like this, singular goal of saying you need I want you to decide this one thing right and I think a lot of times what we should be doing is thinking about like what are some of the alternatives that we looked at in order to come to the conclusion that this other thing is actually the best thing right mm -hmm. so I think that's a really important part of of all of this like knowing who the stakeholders are knowing how they make decisions and then wrapping it all up right into a really nice presentation yeah. that includes references to all of these things is is a really important thing to do. Excellent advice. Again, couldn't agree more. Now, another complaint that I often get from my audience is my client doesn't ask the right questions. Mm. Um, how do I educate them to understand me and what I what I do better? And of course, again, I, I think the successful analyst will take responsibility for that and and proactively educate, but that can be really hard to do. So do you have any advice for, again, helping educate clients so they are asking the right questions? Yeah, empathy, empathy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite word. <laughs> yeah, it's it's enormous. And we need to put it into so many different parts of our lives. Yeah. But I think this is where you need to bubble up experience. You need to bubble up connections, right? Like, when we boil things down, the world of business is pretty regular, right? Like we're trying to sell products, we're trying mm -hmm. to generate leads, we all want to make more money. And <laughs> and I think the more that, you know, if, if you have a really good relationship with, with these people, like the more that you can share stories. I, I remember when we were working as a consultant, we would always talk about that specific vertical, right? So if we were working mm -hmm. with publishers or we were working with e-com, right, we would always try to weave in stories about what we've previously done, what other people are doing, right? And I don't think you want to say like, well, this is best in class or this is best in best practice. Like, I'm kind of not a fan of those things. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that you can help educate people by looking at a, a, a variety of different experiences and a variety of different work in order to, to examine what's happening around you, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, you can even start within your own organization, right? Like a lot of times that when I'm making decisions for my group and my team at Google, like I'm looking at, well, what did the AdWords team do? Or what did the DoubleClick team do? Or what did this other team do? So it's, you know, you don't have to do what other people do. But I think 
you know, even, you know, externally in, in smaller companies, you can, you can really pull from that experience and use it as context, right, for, for making your own decisions and, and guiding your own organization. Yes, I, it's so funny. I, um, during my training workshops, I take people through some of the most common questions that clients ask, like, what are the industry benchmarks for this? Yeah. How are yep. we doing against the industry? And what I urge is that, you know, create an awareness that all of these experiences are unique. You know, I've worked a long time in just content publishing, which can be very, very difficult to create benchmarks because the experiences are so unique. So it's more urging them to create the benchmarks internally to create your own yardstick and then measure from there and be your own best competition, I guess. But yeah, totally. Like, in, you know, the number one that, thing that we talk about when we talk about context or we talk about data, um, the first numbers you should be looking at are where do our executives want us to be this year, right? Mm -hmm. What are the numbers that we're trying to hit, right? And then what have we done in the past? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, and how close are those numbers? Are they kind of close or are they like light years apart? Yeah. And then I kind of feel like the outside, the third party numbers, you know, they're helpful, right? Because then yeah. they're contextual. And, and it, it kind of gives you this nice understanding. And it's like a warm, fuzzy blanket, right? Because like if someone says like, okay, you need to increase this number to a million. And if you don't know like, well, how close have we gotten to a million in the past? You're just like freaking out when you're not really sure of it. So completely. So, oh, this is, this is so great. This is kind of information that I, I wish I'd been empowered with when I was first starting this journey, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So one thing you really excel at is presenting very technical information in a very approachable way. Do you have advice? Um, this is, again, a big sticking point for analysts and marketers where they are knee deep in technical stuff um, and then presenting to their typically lay audience. So do you have any advice for either using analogies or different strategies for making that more comprehensible? Yeah, totally. Probably the best example here is, you know, again, there's multiple types of presentations, right? And so, you know, maybe I'll draw from some of my experience of doing trainings, mm -hmm. which I think are are really, really technical. And, you know, because you're talking about code and you're talking about where does the data come from? And those concepts can be really abstract. And I, I think for me, it, it is all about telling a story. And, you know, one of my favorite ways to do this is through real life examples, you know, emulating real businesses that exist. And, and actually, another story going back, like this was 10 years ago, when we created this first seminars for success program for Google for analytics, I remember the whole curriculum, I created it around baseball. <laughs> and, and the reason I did that was here was major league baseball, right? And they are a publisher, they're selling e-commerce, they're doing all of these things that they wanted uh, to engage with their audience, right? They're publishing video. And so like, they're this really robust business that is doing really complicated things, but it's super approachable, right? Mm. And plus baseball's pretty universal. I, I felt pretty okay using it. I didn't think it was going to alienate anybody. Um, <laughs> I thought everyone would kind of get it. And so to me, you know, taking like the technical information and mapping it to a real life business and then just talking about it in that vernacular, to me, it made it really approachable. It made it really easy to understand. It made it very real for people. Like, so, you know, if, if, if I had to talk about like, 
all right, well, you're a business and you need to understand e-commerce revenue and the marketing campaigns that generate it. Well, I could go to baseball and I could pull like their shopping cart and I could show the process and then I could surf the internet and get some ads to trigger that were baseball related, right? Mm. And so that I could show, I could show the whole story, right? And, and pull it all together. And, and to me, that's a really good strategy. And I, and I still use that all the time now, whenever, whenever I'm speaking outside of work to an audience and, and presenting, I try to use their world, right? So at, at Google, one of the things I do is like companies will come in, you know, like 50 people and they'll, you know, they'll want to hear like, oh, well, what are you doing on analytics? And so we'll have to break down a really complicated story like around attribution. And I'll try to pull in their business, right? And I'll try to pull in like, you know, here's some of the ads that you're running and here's your website. And, and I'll try to tie it all together so that it's really easy for them to understand because it's their world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think that's just a super critical skill for people to have is to to be able to understand who the audience is, like what they're trying to do, and then show them real stuff that's really business focused. Yeah. Analogies is a recurring theme uh, from the guests I have on this podcast, actually, I had June Dershowitz a few episodes ago, and I remember her amazing analytics is like cake <laughs> analogy. <laughs> one, yep, yep. And cake, I would say, is pretty universal also. Yep. And um, it was just, she said she stole it, but it was really well thought out how she translated those components. Um, I would love one day to have like an analogy library of all <laughs> kinds of ways we can break down. You know, I even um, at one point in my career, we were considering doing like a sort of skit to demonstrate the fundamentals of analytics to our team where we had actual cookies we were holding and, and things yep, like that. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of coming back to me now and maybe I'll reconsider. Oh, I can't tell you how many events I've been to that have served cookies and they've been like <laughs> analytics related. So it's, um, it's, it, that's a great one, but yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's just like, it, it, that's where a lot of the time is spent, right? In these presentations mm -hmm. is the preparation of how do I make this relatable? And, yeah. and again, it goes back to the audience, right? Because I would not use that whole baseball story in Italy or mm. I would not use it in Germany, right? Great like, point because it doesn't really translate well, or it might translate for a few people, but not for the majority of the people. And so again, it's like, you know, telling the right story based on who the audience is, is so a really important thing. Oh, that's great. I know. Love that. So you mentioned preparing. So that actually leads into one of my next questions. I'm exploring a bit how great speakers prepare. I'm a preparer. Mm -hmm. And I always think if you don't prepare, you're dead. But <laughs> I've met amazing, amazing speakers. Uh, for example, I just had Rand Fishkin, who doesn't prepare and he just knocks it out of the park. Baseball. Uh, bring it back to baseball. <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> I try, I try. Um, so I, I've decided to sort of be more open-minded and ask, you know, are you a preparing guy or just more of the I'm going to wing it persuasion? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I would say I am neither. I'm, I'm a hybrid. I'm a hybrid. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a mutation. So <laughs> I am, a, I am, a, so I, I don't know what episode this will be, but I am probably an amalgamation of your 
Rand, Jim, June, Tim Wilson. Right. Whoa. So it's like, and, and the amalgamation is not nearly as good as any one of those individuals. Oh. But um, so what I like to do is, so I, I think that, I think you really need to know who you are, right? Like mm-hmm. in this world in general, you really need to know, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? What makes me feel comfortable? What makes me feel confident? And you really have to have that understanding of yourself to yeah. drive kind of how you're going to do things. To me, there needs to be some spontaneity in mm-hmm. the presentation itself, right? Like, I, I don't think you can get up there and you can use speaker notes or you can read from a script or any, anything like that. I, I just think that you won't engage the audience well enough and you won't bring enough energy to kind of carry the room and to get them interested, right? Because I think the person on the stage their energy, their enthusiasm really pulls the audience into the presentation. And for me, that comes from spontaneity and my ability to adjust and joke around and interact while I'm giving the presentation. Mm -hmm. So what I do is like, obviously, if I'm committing to something, I'm like, all right, well, I'm talking about attribution, right, to this audience uh, at E-metrics, right? And so I'll know that they're pretty technical. I'll know that they've got a lot of experience. And so I'll have a story, right? And I'll spend a lot of time putting the story together and potentially like working on the analogies. And, you know, I'll obviously put my slides and things together. But I won't actually know what I'm going to say for every single slide. I'll Mm. just know the story. I'll know the narrative, Mm -hmm. right, of what I'm going to say. Now, there are some points where I'll inject some humor and I'll know that humor will work in that spot. But a lot of times I just know how the flow is going to go. And I kind of make up how I get from A to B to C to D, from slide to slide to slide as I go along. And, And what I'm really trying to do is trying to create a framework. So you know, if it's like 3,000 people, like I try to connect and understand what's going on in the first few rows and understand that. And I'll use that as kind of like a proxy for the whole audience. But I'll try to see like where people are really engaged and where maybe they're not. And then like I might dwell longer on a couple of things and I might go a little faster on something else depending on on what's happening. And so, so for me, my process is definitely have the slides, have the narrative, but don't really get too bogged down in it. Like I'll never, I never go through and if it's, let's say 45 minute presentation and 15 minutes of questions, I'll never actually go through all 45 minutes. Like mm-hmm. I'll just go through the narrative and feel very comfortable with that and then just go from there. Oh, that's great. That's actually my area of development for this year because with a musical theater background, I'm very accustomed to memorizing a script Mm -hmm. and just being able to deliver it in a approachable way uh, that doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. But I actually have gotten feedback that I could seem a little mechanical or over rehearsed. So this past metrics, I took a bit of a a plunge where I really didn't script it out. And except for really nailing the intro and conclusion, I always feel like that those should be pretty locked down. Um, but this, I, I kind of let it be a little bit more free form and kind of live in it, live in the moment <laughs> instead of yeah. trying to remember that next thing I was going to say. So I, I think that's great and couldn't be a better amalgamation of <laughs> <laughs> pro speakers. They're all really inspirational. So speaking of growth, um, you know, even the most accomplished pro speakers 
I feel are always on a path of growth. So is there an area that you're working on right now to develop? Yeah, there definitely is. <laughs> um, and to be honest with you, it's confidence. Um, oh, okay, what wow. I've, so yeah, and, and, and here's why. My audiences have changed dramatically like over the last like, mm. five or six years. And so I've actually been doing less and less like public speaking and spending more time in front of companies that come visit us at Google. Mm. And it's a very different experience, right? When you're talking to a group of executives and, you know, they're spending lots and lots of money, that's kind of like mind bending. And so like in the past, a lot, I, like I try to be very casual all the time, but what I'm, what I'm finding is like, in these situations, like it, it actually, I need to button it up a little bit more. Hmm. And for me, I, I need a little bit more confidence in like really understanding their massive business. Right. And so okay. they're much more complicated than a lot of the groups that I've talked to in the past. And so for me, it's, it's more study, it's more research. It's more like I talked about before, like going super deep on like, okay, so what is happening in the online insurance business, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just like kind of, again, the top layer, it's like globally, like how are these markets different? How are macroeconomics playing into this? How is technology driving that? So for me, I've found that, you know, I'm, I'm talking in front of businesses that are like multi-channel, really more global. And that's, you know, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm having to learn more, which is really awesome. And, it, and it's helping me grow. But uh, yeah, it's, I would say it's, it's, um, I'm trying to increase that chutzpah, right? So I, so I feel really good when I, when I get on stage in front of these, these groups. I know the secret to that. I can tell you. <gasps> what is it? I'm it's, dying to know. It's having a power move. A power move. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the sprinkler. Like, <laughs> is that my, is that my power move? Like my daughter taught me the sprinkler and I'm, I've got it down kind of. I'm you doing might want to reserve right that for room. before you, you walk that. out on stage. But the sprinkler actually is quite effective, I think, at driving up your um, serotonin and mm. <laughs> no, completely pulled that out of nowhere. Um, that's yeah. OK, that's so great. So What's you your power have, move? Um, well, it's sort of a, a martial arts yoga hybrid. Uh, I'm, I'm working on a patent for it because it's so effective. Wow. Totally <laughs> kidding. Downward barking dog. <laughs> Um, similar. It's more something like the beginning of the Matrix battle with uh, uh, what Agent Smith or, or whatnot. Yes. But, so maybe it's not totally original, but you know. Well, maybe one time in one of your presentations, you can bust out a few okay. Matrix likes moves. Uh, it's always a good time. Um, so you know, confidence for me, same thing. I actually have extreme stage fright, which is ironic as a professional speaker, but I like the challenge of it. But what I find that the difference in confidence, in addition to the research that you've done for that audience is whether they've chosen to be there. Mm -hmm. So when people have come to a conference to see you speak, there's a completely different energy than if I go to a workshop where most of those students don't even know who I am. Yep. <laughs> they haven't necessarily chosen to be there. So do you find that's the same thing? And, you know, do you have any ways of sort of overcoming that? Uh, you mean like in terms of like the audience and... Yeah, and just, you know, why they're there, I guess. Yeah, understanding the audience is a critical thing. When I'm doing events, 
I always ask for data about who are these people. Mm. Um, you, you know, like you said, workshops and trainings, like no problem. You paid 1500 bucks. You're here <laughs> to learn data visualization. I get it. Yeah. Um, but even like in conferences, I'm always looking to understand like what business are these people in? What is their experience level with analytics or the subject matter that we're going to be talking about? That's just really important to crafting the story. And the other thing I think is really important is setting your own expectations as well. I don't go into any presentation, especially like at an event, expecting everyone to be psyched, right? Like <laughs> I don't expect a hundred people to be like, oh my God, that guy's awesome. I so want to be a web analyst. Like <laughs> I just don't have that expectation. And, right. um, you know, it's not like, you know, I don't have low expectations, but it's, you know, there's probably always going to be a percentage of your audience that thinks they're way smarter than you. Mm -hmm. And there's a percentage of your audience that just is really, really just a beginner group and they have no idea what you're talking about. And then you have the masses, right? And mm -hmm. I'm really trying to hit the high end of the masses, right? And I want to pull people at the low end of the, the masses up to the high end. Mm -hmm. And I want to really kind of make those people that think they're way smarter than me, like kind of come down a little and be like, okay, <laughs> this guy's not so bad. Mm -hmm. Like he kind of does know this stuff and bring them in. And I want to entertain the people that are just totally lost. So <laughs> right. I, I think, you know, obviously do your homework on the audience, but also like it's okay not to make everybody happy. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's okay to do that. Um, now I think obviously that scales based on the size of your group. If you're in a room with 50 people, it's like, uh, you know, I, I hope those margins at the high end and the low yeah. end are really, really small. But, but, I, but I think setting that expectation with yourself can also be very, very empowering and drive a lot of confidence too. I think that's great. And I think that'll help increase our own empathy for ourselves you know, I, I know for me, I, I'm like, I want every last person to yeah. love me. And it's, you know, it's, it's been a big mindset shift to just say, I'm going to be trying to serve as many people as I possibly can. I'm hoping I'm not talking over too many people's heads and talking under the upper ranks, but at least maybe they'll feel, oh, I know this. Okay. So she gets me. Yeah. And the lower people are like, oh, so she's had these challenges too. And she overcame them. So making that, meeting that place is, I think worked well. So Justin, what would you say are some of the biggest pet peeves that you have about presentations that you see other practitioners and even industry speakers give? That's a great question. I... So this is totally a pet peeve. I've been told that this is not good practice, but I'm a big believer in motion and moving around. Mm -hmm. Like I really feel like motion helps us connect to information. Like yeah. when we see things change, it's very eye-opening for us. So I actually like when people move around a little bit. I don't like mm -hmm. when people are like tied to a podium. It makes it very static for me and it seems not as engaging. So that, that's a personal pet peeve. I've also had professional coaches that have been like, wow, you walk around a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like That's really distracting. But personally, I, I, I don't like it. You know what's another pet peeve of mine? And like, you're going to think this is totally crazy. But, Try me. <laughs> um, I have a very particular viewpoint on like the style of the presentation to me, when you're telling a story and you're using slides to support that story, 
there's kind of two stylistic options I think you have. I think you can go with photography, right? Mm-hmm. And you can use a lot of photography. So if you're talking about mobile devices, you can put up pictures of mobile devices. And if you're talking about, you know, global economies, you can put up a map with different numbers in different countries, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have some type of photo. Or you can go with more of like, a graphic interpretive type style, right? Where again, if you're talking about mobile devices, you can have like a very simplistic graphic that represents a mobile device, right? Mm -hmm. They're super easy to make in any like an icon. Yeah, icons, exactly. And so to me, I need I feel like you need to go one way or the other. Mm, Like I feel like I like stylistically for me at least, it's like it creates a more cohesive experience if the style is is more more uniform. So, I mean, and this is on top of all the other ones, like don't read your bullet points. Don't even use your bullet <laughs> points. Like I'm, I'm hoping I don't need to say those things. Yeah. You can always anymore. say it one more time. Don't use a lot of bullet points. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but, but this is a, so this is a really, so I want to just point one thing out, right? Like this gets back to there's different presentations because like, mm-hmm. One of the things I do at work is I'm really lucky. I get to sit and listen to a lot of like engineers and product managers talk about what they want to build and why they think we should build certain things. Mm -hmm. And their presentations have tons of bullet points and their slides are super crowded and there's tons of information on it, right? But that's okay, right? In that setting, we have 30 minutes to make a decision on are we going to do option A, option B, or option C, mm-hmm. right? And in that environment, if someone shows me a picture of a highway and starts telling me about like the road ahead, <laughs> I'm going to be like, you're down to 24 minutes. Come on, <laughs> let's go, right? Like, so I don't want to like totally poo-poo, but if you're at, you know, eMetrics or if you're at AdTech or if you're somewhere else, it's like pick a style and like kind of go at your style. That's such interesting advice because I love so many different styles. I I research a lot of them because it's part of my job. And I find that my presentations are almost a mishmash of different styles. And I have to actually reel it in a little bit because... You know, I, I I find the same thing. I love it when someone has thoughtfully put a cohesive style across the entire presentation. Like all of the outlines have white lines around them, or there's almost like a comic book feel to that. Um, it can be yep. a little challenging to find that much imagery and, and such for that, but it's great advice. And I'm definitely going to be taking that away for myself. It's actually why I like iconography a little bit better because photography, it's like yeah. finding just the right thing. And then you totally like stock photos just really grind on me sometimes. <laughs> like if I see like one more stock photo of all those happy people in business suits around a laptop. Giving like, the high like, five. Exactly. It's like, first of all, who doesn't have pe- No, exactly. No. Right. So yeah. Anyways, just a personal <laughs> rant. Sorry. No, no. Rant away. So I call the next segment the upgrade, which is a power tip for Excel, PowerPoint, Tableau, in your case, Google Analytics, just for doing our job more awesome. Do you have anything fun for us today? Yeah, I guess I have a bunch of stuff. Well, (laughs) great. (laughs) Well, I mean, let's stick to the presentation part of it, right? And maybe not so much the, 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 like, for me, like, to be honest, I've been downgrading the tools that I use um, in for presentations hmm. for a long time, right? So I think I started with Keynote, which I kind of feel like is really, really strong. And then I moved to PowerPoint. And now I'm down to like Google Slides. <laughs> and the reason I do that is like, I want to keep restricting myself, right? Hmm. Like, I, I don't want to rely on super fancy features in yes. order to tell an effective story. And so... 
you know, for me, it's less is more. And so I guess my tip would be continuously remove things until what you're showing is completely meaningless, right? And, and, and then go one step backwards, right? Like, and really simplify things as much as you can. I think that's a really important thing for us all to, to do because it, it really makes us focus more mm-hmm. on what we're trying to convey on a, on a particular slide. So I would do that. And then maybe if I could, two other things that yeah. I like, always like is animations, mm. simple animations are great, right? Like a one and a half second fade in is an amazing thing that you can use. Mm-hmm. Do not use anything that spins, whirls, jumps, or bounces, please. In the exciting category. Exactly. <laughs> Stay away from the exciting category. <laughs> That's a really important way. Like again, motion, I think revealing something at the right time can help people absorb it. And then the last thing I would say is never put the same words on a slide that you're going to say, mm-hmm. right? So I don't like when people write the words and then they say them. It's like, well, you just said that, or <laughs> I read it when you put the slide up. So why are you saying it? So, right. Use different Anyways, language, similar maybe, language. Yeah. Well, maybe that's more of a pet peeve. So that <laughs> one's that straddles both. So okay. Anyways. I couldn't agree more. I find that a lot of times people are looking for a, a new snazzy tool to present to solve the PowerPoint problem when really the problem is getting a foundation to use the most ubiquitous tool that we have more effectively. Yeah, totally. Couldn't agree more. Fantastic. All right. This is our final question. Imagine this very plausible scenario. You're fly fishing at the Batten Kill in Vermont when you fall into a whirlpool through a rip in time and you're brought back to the precise moment you're about to give your first presentation. <laughs> when you're recovered and dried off, what would today you say to then you? You got this. Totally. You got this. You know, I think all of us live in bubbles. We mm. all live in bubbles. And, uh, you know, as we sit here and we obsess over our presentations, we all, you know, we just don't know what other people will think. And I think we actually know a lot more than we do. We're all, you know, folks like you and like, we're all pretty smart. And uh, I think the advice would be, you got this. Get a good night's sleep. (laughs) I love it. And don't eat, don't eat the sushi at the airport. Oh, I'm going to write that one down. (laughs) I'm thinking there is a very interesting story behind that piece of advice, but there is (laughs) maybe perhaps for another episode. But um, well, that's as always fantastic. And unfortunately, we're out of time. So please tell the listeners where they can keep up with you. So probably the best spot would just be to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Justin Catroni. Great. And of course, your blog, all your books, and all of the resources we've mentioned today are going to be on the show notes page for this episode. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today. You're like the busiest guy in analytics right now. And you are a huge inspiration, not only to practitioners, but professional speakers like myself. So I want to thank you so much for your time today. Well, thanks so much for having me. And it's great that you're creating this awesome podcast for other people to learn and to grow their skills. I try. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I just can never get over how thrilling it is to talk to the top minds in this business and bring their best strategies for presenting your data to get results straight to you, my listener. I still get so starstruck meeting people like Justin. It's what a privilege and 
so grateful every day. And I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Present Beyond Measure show. If you like what you've heard, hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews are extremely appreciated because they affect the rankings of the show. And I'll be reading out my favorites on future episodes. To catch all of the resources mentioned in the episode and how to follow Justin, visit leahpika.com slash 024 and you'll find everything you need. I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you face when presenting information, doing data visualizations quickly, and anything else you'd like for me to talk about here. Or you can tweet me a question or your ideal guest for the show by including my Twitter handle, which is at Leah Pika, and including the hashtag PBM, as in present beyond measure. And today's presentation inspiration is from W. Edwards Deming, that quotable dude. And that is, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. True debt. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to. Let data win. Namaste. And that's Rick. Cool. That was fun. <laughs> to catch all of the resources mentioned this. Uh, <laughs> Beyond measure present. <laughs> right when. You're. See? We're on the same page. Exactly. <laughs> When I'm not on my deathbed, I listen to the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what podcast I'm on. It's another week, another podcast. Jeez. Uh, Just kidding. Must be tough. <laughs>